GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. We have the latest on the latest major power outage. Lasted about two hours from just before midnight until just before two o'clock. We'll speak to the chief executive at the Electricity Authority, Michael Caetano. How did it affect you? What about your finances for the year? Have you done some planning? Are you already feeling la cueta de enero, the uphill struggle as you await the next paycheck after an expensive Christmas? We speak to Gerald Rodriguez of the Gibraltar International Bank. And we reflect on the Three Kings cavalcade with Jose Maris Ruiz, who was part of GBC's live broadcast team on Friday night, and also with Kevin Ruiz, who on Saturday attended a cavalcade reception at the Mayor's Parlour. But first, our top story, the Gibraltar-wide power cut, which started shortly before midnight. It was caused by a failure on a power transformer at the North Mall power station. Chief Executive at the Electricity Authority, Michael Gaetano, will be here with more details in just two minutes. But first, Cristina Cortez, who sprung into action last night when the lights went out. Not sure about springing into action, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, many people would have been asleep when it happened, but a great number were also awake, including a, a number of us from, from GBC. As you say, it was about 10 to midnight, so just the time people are about to head off to sleep and uh, they had the the lights put up uh, for them so uh, it was quite an eerie sight and of course down in the waterport area people started to report uh, online seeing that that they'd heard a loud bang from the power station just before it happened and some people had also seen smoke so we tried to find out what had happened how widespread the power cut was it was affecting all of Gibraltar and what had caused it and especially the loud bang you know we were wondering was anybody hurt at the station so uh, luckily we heard from the electricity authority that there was nobody hurt at the station that the bang and the smoke was caused by a failure on the low voltage side of one of its two power transformers um, and that this had been contained and everybody at the station was safe. Um, today we've heard that the fault uh, was isolated but that this meant that the in-house power supply was interrupted so the station came to a stop. The second transformer was powered up but this the restoration process obviously took a while to to, to, to restore power to all of Gibraltar so it took from about an hour from the first power returning till till the end. Uh, we were getting updates on WhatsApp online. I could see the lights coming on, popping on in different estates uh, along the way. Um, but, uh, of course, in the interim, the power outage did cause a, a number of issues and inconveniences. Well, I was going to say, in some ways, midnight is not the worst time mm. for a power cut. But um, if the comments on GBC social media are anything to go by, it did have a significant impact for a, a number of people. Yes, yeah, so people highlighted a number of different issues. Uh, one person, uh, George, highlighted that uh, he needs his sleep apnea machine to breathe at night and that when this switched off, uh, he nearly choked and, and almost had a panic attack. Um, Jack highlighted. Goodness. I hope he's okay. Yeah, yeah. A, a concern for a number of people who use these machines and who'll be asleep when this happens and, and may suddenly find that they can't breathe. Um, Jack, I mean, for his part, highlighted that the new LNG power station was meant to signal an end to the age of power cuts, but that these are not yet a thing of the past. Um, Alex was wondering about the effect uh, the increased use of electric vehicles might have on the grid. Uh, Debbie called for renewable energy and said uh, the government needs to invest in this for the future as gas will eventually be unsustainable 
and uh, Gary was in uh, what must have been one of the last areas in Gibraltar to get his electricity back in Prince Edwards Road. So for him, the power cut lasted over two hours, about two hours and ten minutes, I imagine. Right. That's that's a long time, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, the Chief Executive Officer at the Electricity Authority, Michael Gaetano, joins me now. Um, Good afternoon, Mr Gaetano, and can you tell us then what happened exactly? Good afternoon, Jonathan, and good afternoon all. Well, what happened was just before midnight, um, I got a report from my staff at the station that had been a, a loud bang, and the effect was for all to notice, which was an opine jib. Um, of course, alarm bells rings. I first thing that crosses my mind is a safety my personnel. They were all fine; no one was hurt. I made my way to the power station together with some of my engineers, who I didn't even have to call in because people come and help. And we started looking at what the problem could have been. And the problem was identified to the LV terminals of one of the two power transformers that we have at the power station. The power transformers at the power station have the same role as you get a transformer anywhere else, which is basically we need our own power for auxiliaries like fans, pumps, etc., to be able to actually run the generators. There was an interruption to that power, and consequently the generators basically stopped. So where, where does that power come from? Does it come f- from it's the kind power of, station itself? From the power station itself. We kind of take it off at 11,000 volts and put it back at 415 volts on the LV side to, to, to supply our own auxiliaries. LV is low voltage? Low voltage, sorry, yes. And, and okay, so the first time that this has happened? It's the first time it's happened. It's the first time I've actually seen it in my career. And I've had a career in power both in the UK, uh, I've worked in Spain and in Switzerland, and I've never seen it before. But look, uh, I'm in contact already with a manufacturer, this particular design of LV bus bars, and they should be coming to Gibraltar pretty soon. My staff are now uncovering uh, the area to expose the damage, and I think it will be quite dramatic when we see it, and I think that you guys are coming later on to actually take some footage of it. Okay, and this is an expensive piece of kit, Michael? I don't think it should be that expensive compared to other uh, kit that we have at the power plant, but nonetheless it will be uh, expensive. We have insurance and we have the know-how to fix it. Okay, and um, why is it that it resulted in a, a power outage for two hours? It resulted in a power outage for two hours because we are powering up from this transformer that failed effectively on the low-voltage side. So first of all, we had to isolate it, so there was absolutely no chance of backfeeding the fault itself. Um, and we had to reconfigure the station with limited power through the second transformer. Like most power stations around the world, we do have one, more than one transformer for this particular uh, purpose. And transformer number two is now serving its role and it's powering up the power station. But you said that this you, you, you've never seen this before, so it wasn't a contingency measure that you had necessarily no, prepared uh, for? It wasn't a contingency measure, but look, we're engineers and we react to, to problems, and that's uh, the way of thinking that we all have. Uh, and so on the one hand, you, you had the resilience built into the system, but it, it took two hours to, to tap into it. Well, it took about probably about 40 minutes to actually tap and reconfigure the station. And then it takes uh, time to actually power up Gibraltar. I wish that the power could come back as easily as it goes, but it doesn't work like that. Claro. So why not? Because we have to slowly start loading up the generators on the system. And it has, it's a gradual process and it's a process, process done by district. And we heard some reports of uh, the lights flickering back on and off. It, it, it's not so much flickering on and off. It's more like a little flicker. 
And that's basically an indication that other load is being put into the system, apart from the one that you are seeing wherever you happen to be. So the flicker is a not normal process when we start restoring power in sections. So it would be that uh, somebody has power restored, but then they see a little bit of a... Uh, their lights dim a bit and yeah. then go back up to full that's power. That's correct, yeah. And that's that, because... The that's because we have continued the restoration process, correct. Okay, and um, on balance, if you look at this uh, sort of incident and, and you think that we had uh, another one uh, about a week ago, a little bit more than a week ago, um, and, and we heard your colleague Alfred Pizarro say that um, there have been different reasons for each recent power outage, that makes it harder to prepare and prevent the next one, no? Well, in this case, the three, the three were different. I believe the first one was a fault on the network itself, which actually affected the aquajib pumps, a substation that fed aqu- the aquajib pumps in Hesses. Uh, pu- purely network, so not everybody got affected. Um, the second one was as a result, and I, was, I apologize, but I was away from the jurisdiction. So Alfred had, was standing in for me, and he came to actually, supposed to take the flag. Um, um, and the second one was related to we had uh, two engines running at 7.30 in the morning like we normally do we were getting ready to actually uh, cope with the early morning peak which is quite sharp uh, increase in demand and just before we actually started the third engine we lost one of the existing engines so what we had the scenario which was about 18 megawatts of power which was Gibraltar's demand at the time met by two engines, nine megawatts each. We lost one of them. The second engine's capacity maximum is 14, so you can see that the numbers don't add up, and we ended up effectively with a blackout. Um, on that point, regarding the outage of uh, between Christmas and New Year, that would a t- that's a typical uh, fault or outage that will be... Um, we should be a thing of the past with the advent of a project that we're working on, together with the garment, which is a battery energy storage system, which is basically a big UPS. So right. in the future, once that's operational, I think it's probably just over just 12 months before that's operational, an event where we results in a loss of an engine, that will be basically mitigated and covered by the UPS. So slowly and gradually, we're trying to get to a stage where the operation of a system resembles the operation of a big system like you get in big countries. Uh, We are small, and by definition, small power systems tend to have an element of instability that large large ones don't have. There's there's more resilience in a larger grid and... uh... Well, uh, if you give, for example, the example I gave you of the power outage between Christmas and New Year, where we had a total maximum load load at the time of 18 megawatts, we lost one engine, we lost 50% of our generating capacity at that instant. When this happens in a, in a big network, even though you might lose a unit which is 500 megawatts of power, it's still a very, very small percentage of the size of the network. Therefore, the remaining uh, um, generators on the system pick up that load and us at home would never find out. Here, we were a bit unlucky in the sense on that morning that had we actually had, cost, had that problem 10 minutes later, by that time we would have probably had three engines on the system they would have been loaded to about six or seven megawatts each. And with three engines, we lose one. We have the resilience with the two remaining engines to pick that surplus load. 
So that's very interesting because uh, I think as you alluded to there, um, we're as consumers used to flicking on a switch or, or pressing the on button and, 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 and the electrical product starting immediately. But, but you are looking at Gibraltar's behaviour as, as a nation and you're anticipating when our demand for electricity is going to go up yep. and, and you are, and you are um, preparing the engines to respond to that ahead of the need. Yeah, that happens on a daily basis by my operations staff and the plant is dispatched according to, to demand and a focus, which, to be honest, don't vary much between day to day. We've got certain uh, load focus for weekdays, certain for weekends, certain for festivities, for example, over the Christmas period, we've had uh, our demand has been relatively low uh, because people do tend to leave Gibraltar, and that we can see in reflected in the power demand. And offices close, I suppose. Absolutely, absolutely. And you referred earlier to uh, the UPS, which is an uninterrupted power supply, and and some offices have it. Uh, you know, in, in the case of an office, it would be a large battery um, that detects that power is cutting and keeps your essential electrical Correct. equipment moving. And that's what you're looking to do on a big scale at the power station. We're looking to do it at the scale of what, the size of one of our engines, which is about 40 megawatts of power for an hour which in electrical engineering and power engineering terms is an eternity, which would mean the scenario we had between Christmas and New Year, we lose an engine, this kicks in, nobody, none of our consumers finds about, out about it. And what we do, we've got plenty of time to start another engine and, and basically take over from the UPS and keep the UPS back in reserve again. But that sounds like a very big and very expensive battery, no? Uh, uh, it's, I don't think it's that expensive. No? And it's a project that we got well underway. Okay, and uh, it wasn't part of the original design for the power station. I think. Well, I think it's part, it's something which has grown uh, because of of course we've got. Uh, if you imagine that we have a battery, we have, we will effectively have a hybrid uh, network in Gibraltar, which we also hope soon to be complemented by bigger uh, projects, which are solar and of a renewable nature. So we'll all interact, the power plant, the, the battery, and the renewable energy. That sounds really interesting. Uh, so 12 months, you think, no more or less? 12 months plus. Okay. Yep. And, uh, and finally, before I let you go, Mr. Quetano, um, one of the comments on our Facebook page was by George, who uses a sleep apnea machine, because I was thinking that one, uh, midnight is actually not a bad time. Yeah. Uh, you know, you never want a power cut, but it's not the worst time for it. But uh, but he, uh, George uses a sleep apnea machine to breathe as he sleeps, and he says that he he nearly choked um, and and panicked last night. What, what would you say to to him and others? Well, although, in that the situation? Thing I can say that I'm not. Uh, uh, I'm I feel for George, but uh, we try our best to keep the lights on all the time, and when they do actually come off, I know that causes some inconvenience, and for that we can only just apologize. On Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. January is often a difficult month financially. It's often referred to, of course, as La Cuesta de Enero, an uphill battle, struggle. Christmas is expensive and the wait for the next paycheck can be painful. So have you got any top tips to make that hill climb a little less painful? Get in touch with us. We're on 266 200. But more generally, if you're planning your finances for the year, 
You'll want to know what sort of 12 months we're likely to have in terms of borrowing from banks and if you're lucky enough to have some savings, what sort of return you might get. I'm joined on the line now by the Chief Treasury and Investment Officer at the Gibraltar International Bank. Good afternoon, Gerald Rodriguez. Maybe we can uh, st- start off by asking you what sort of 20... How would you summarise the year just gone, 2023? Good afternoon, Jonathan, and a happy new year to all. Um, well, 2023 has definitely been a very, very interesting year in terms of interest rates. Uh, and I, when I say interesting, I don't mean necessarily good. No. We've seen interest rates increase substantially over the last year due to mainly central banks trying to control what was uh, almost spiraling out of control inflation, where if you remember in the UK hit the double digit figures, which is not yeah. not, not good at all. No. And uh, we've all seen that uh, we've all seen the effects of price price increase. Um, you know, whether it's in the supermarket, the price of oil, whether it's the petrol, whether it's and that is inflation essentially. So uh twenty twenty three I say in the summary would have been um a year of price increase around around the globe, I think. Uh, it's prompted uh, a cost of, or contributed to uh, a cost of living crisis. Hmm? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. I mean, as as uh, price increase, uh, interest rates have increased also for the banks to try and curb that inflation, and we've seen also people with uh, with borrowing, lead mortgages, as a lot of Gibraltarians and people around the world have. Uh, we've seen our monthly expenditure increase also. Now, prices aren't going to get cheaper, but they're going. Hopefully, they're going to stop climbing as quickly as they have been. Well, the good news is that inflation seems to be uh, coming down under control in the UK. In Gibraltar, I think the government posted a 4.3% inflation in the last quarter. That is good news. Um, good news in the sense that this will also help and give ammunition to central banks. Our worries, clearly, the Bank of England. Uh, to give, give uh, will give the Bank of England ammunition to start hopefully uh, reducing rates. Now I say hopefully because of course there's always risks to this uh, scenario. We all know what's going on in the in Ukraine. Uh, we all know what's going on in the Middle East, and any uh, increase of those uh, the problems could uh, you know give give rise to increase in petrol prices, which will again uh, stem inflation and will not allow central banks to reduce rates as one would hope. Okay, so petrol prices actually have gone up in recent days, haven't they? But that's unrelated. You're talking about sort of global prices, no? That is correct. Uh, they've gone up uh, locally uh, due to the subsidy the government uh, was providing that has ended. And of course, that uh, it, it is also unrelated, but it is related in a way, because that will also um, put a bit of a, a grain into inflation locally. Right. Okay. So uh, you mean it, it'll contribute to it? Of course, it will increase. It will increase the, the inflation figures in Gibraltar. Okay. So um, let's let's talk about somebody who might need to borrow money for the the coming months. What sort of year is it likely to be for borrowing from local banks? I mean, obviously, you represent the Gibraltar International Bank, uh, but but generally, the picture here reflects the the big, the broader picture in the UK and and more more generally. Yes, of course. I mean, I will speak more globally rather uh, from a Gibraltar International Bank perspective. I mean, I think it's fair to say that we all expect um, interest rates to come down, maybe in the May June time. 
um, which means uh, borrowing rates uh, should come down by then. Uh, but then, then again, if you're going to borrow money, I wouldn't um, necessarily say that you should probably play the market and try to borrow at the cheapest. I think the best way to borrow money is have your expenditure properly calculated and see what you can afford and try and meet that expenditure. If you can fix it for a couple of years, whether you well you where you know that your your what your cost will be whatever happens for the next three, four, five years, I think that's the benefit. Whether interest rates are high or low, all, always um, fixing your cost base, I, personally, I think is, is a viable thing to do. Because it removes the uncertainty of what the market is doing and, and you can, you know, you can generally look ahead knowing that you're covered. Exactly. It removes the uncertainty of an increase in interest rates and also it, 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 and you, will, you are able to plan for your future expenditures, whether it's a holiday, whatever, more appropriately. You know, this is my mortgage cost, whatever happens, and you don't need to worry whether there's an uptick in the, in the war in Ukraine, whether the Middle Eastern crisis increases, and, mm. and then you, you don't need to worry about external factors which essentially are out of your control. Okay, so borrowing rates then to come down May or June. Uh, what sort of uh, year is it likely to be for, for those who are lucky enough to have a little bit of money uh, and want to try and make it work with, their, with some savings? <laughs> well, that's sort of the inverse, isn't it? <laughs> if, uh, if, you're, if your borrowing rates come down, so do your saving rates. Um, so, yeah, there is a, always a, the other side of the coin, as one would say, but uh, essentially rates are coming down uh, even longer term rates now, you can see they are uh, lower than they were towards uh, the middle of, of last year. So people with the savings, borrowings, again, the same thing I say, try and fix uh, your, your savings, borrowings, uh, and like that you know what kind of return or expenditure you can have in the near future. And more generally, before I let you go, Gerald, um, La Cuesta de Enero, as somebody who, uh, who you know, uh, works in finance and, and, and does a, a lot of calculations for a living, what would your advice be to, to you know, our listeners? Well, I'm suffering La Cuesta de Enero too, believe me. I think like everybody is, uh, we tend to overspend in Christmas, you know, uh, that, that, that I think is, is part of our, of, our, um, of our nature, especially in Gibraltar. I, I suppose it's the same around the globe. I mean, the only advice I could give, you know, when Christmas comes, instead of just saving for, pre- for presents, save also for, for January. <laughs> Make it a double saving. <laughs> Put a little bit aside, no, for, for January, exactly. which this is, is always... For the presents, this is for January. <laughs> Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Did you enjoy the Three Kings cavalcade? It's always colourful, it's always fun. Um, and I'm joined now in the studio by Jose Maris Ruiz, who is part of GBC's live broadcast team on Friday night. If you uh, watched the cavalcade through uh, GBC's coverage, then I'm sure you'll have seen his excellent reporting. And uh, good afternoon to you. And good afternoon to Kevin Ruiz, who on Saturday attended a cavalcade reception at the Mayor's Parlour. Uh, so... Um, Guys, what, what, what are the, the, the main sort of headline thoughts on, on how this year's cavalcade went? Well, I think it went brilliantly, really. I think um, it didn't disappoint in terms of uh, the streets being busy. Perhaps not as busy as uh, they somewhat are, but when you've got me and Stefan on television, 
bringing it to you live from your telly, you might want to stay at home and watch it there. Oh, no? so, yeah. <laughs> but it was. Uh, <laughs> we we did have a conversation this year about like we always go every year, but this year we said, oh, should we should we just watch it on television? Mm. But <laughs> um, but but then we we opted to to go down and, and be part of the atmosphere. But there is something to be said for for taking it in visually. Yeah, you yeah, see yeah. It, you yeah, see different the camera you, angles the camera. and so on. It zooms in. Yeah, but it went really well. There was a good amount of floats, 14, two more than last year, and very well-produced floats. I mean, there was a, a GJBS one from Super Mario that came second, and it only came second because it was too good. Mm. Because the one that came first was all handmade, and it had been made by three families, and a lot more craftsmanship went into it. So the GJBS one came second because a lot of things weren't once made by hand. But uh, that just shows the level the, of The bar standard. was quite high. No? Yeah. And it looked like you had a, a brilliant time right there, ¿no? <laughs> I did have a good time. Hablando Super Mario. ¿Cómo hace Super Mario? Que lo cantaste. Lo canté. <laughs> so we had a good time. I was surprised to see how many kids wanted to, to be on camera, wanted to be... A lot of the times I was walking around and... Uh, That's lovely, eh? Obviously, Stefan was talking and it was a meander trying to wave me down. I'll, I'll come back to you next time I'm on. But uh, yeah, normally you get kids that are a bit shy, but this time I found they were all very eager to, mm, to be on to television. The YouTube generation. Yeah, the yeah, YouTube generation. Yeah. That's definitely. <laughs> Importantly, picking up on what you said there as well, not the importance of televising the event. I think um, we can safely say it is one of the most watched uh, broadcasts by GBC online as well. Because of course, many Gibraltarians who are away from Gibraltar, who live away from Gibraltar, always want to relive the cavalcade, no? We get many of them telling us when they come back to Gib to visit family and friends. And we know from uh, from our viewing figures as well, the cavalcade does draw a lot of an international audience. And those um, people who normally travel to Gib a few times a year or come here on holiday and uh, like to keep uh, uh, checking in on Gibraltar and what we're getting up to, I think it's a lovely way as well when we're getting out there to the world, no? I've, I've got a question that my children were asking, uh, and I don't know if you guys have, have heard uh, that it discussed and have an answer. Um, why were there two Super Mario floats? Ah. Well, actually, there was three originally. There was going to be three Super Mario floats, and um, Stephen Valarino, who, who runs kind of the, the floats for GJVS, said that he offered to pull his out when he heard there was two more, but someone else pulled theirs out, and then apparently between two... Was an okay well, amount, but uh, people decided in it's summer. A, it's a popular but, theme. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's that, that was my question. Has Super Mario done anything new? No, because we do see many people. Yeah, the movie. There's oh, a big, there's a new movie. Big film. Yeah, Michael yeah. Beltran. I haven't spoken to Michael Beltran lately. <laughs> see, so I'm not with my movie releases. I was yeah. wondering. That's and why. of course, numerous games, but uh, of in course. terms of uh, well, yeah. attracting the, the thing, larger no? population, the movie for sure. Yeah. yeah. We do get that. Not many repeat flows over the years, even in my childhood. No, because the big theme of the year. I remember, curiously enough. Television, no? El un, dos, tres. And there was always two or three floats about the un, dos, tres, which was the big show of the day, no? And it, it just happens. People like to do whatever's trending, no? Yeah. And you were saying um, you were down there, you were immersed, you were enjoying yourself, yeah. you were living that atmosphere. You decided to go down because el ambiente de la cabalgata, second to none. Um, and uh, John Cortez, who was standing in for Christian Santos uh, this weekend, um, he was down there. He's a big fan of the cavalcade since his childhood. He was selling me. And he actually said... It's one of the best he's seen in the in in the last few years. Well, I think the whole community wants to support the cavalcade. I think, if I may say, this is one of the best cavalcades of recent years. I think it's coming up and up, particularly after the break of COVID. And I think both the public and the uh, private sector will want to support the cavalcade in whatever way they can. Um, I think it's great community involvement. 
John Cortés applauding the efforts, the work of the people involved in the cavalcade, applauding the community for their attendance and supporting the cavalcade. Importantly, picking up a line there, he did mention about um, uh, everybody wanting to support the cavalcade financially as well. Erika Buderam is the president of the cavalcade um, committee. No doubt Gibraltar knows him. And again, he's applauded everyone. He's thanked the community. But an important message from Eric this year. It's a very popular event. And if we want to continue it, we have to look at the future. And indeed, the future for us is investing into trailers, which we don't have. As you're well aware, we have bought ourselves two low-level trailers. They are seven meters long, which is ample to provide a float. It reduces emissions because it can be towed by a 4x4. It doesn't need to have the big lorries or big cabs which are also difficult to manoeuvre down Main Street, so we also improve on health and safety. And indeed, you know, I mean, if we can find private investors who can donate, or indeed government might want to assist. And at the end of the day, these trailers can also be used in different ways. I mean, for any other event... Eric Abudaram speaking to Kevin Therese, uh, who's here in the studio with us, uh, uh, together with Jose Marie Therese, uh, who are not related. Not related. <laughs> not related. Everybody was no, me primo chico. We've got the Borges, we've got the Ruizes. But <laughs> um, so, 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 uh, asking for for more support. Then Eric thinks mm. that there, there needs to be maybe even more investment. Everything's getting more expensive. Yes, and, and I suppose as well, people who are taking part want the production value to to increase mm. as well. And Eric had a twofold message in there as well. Not um, the 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 financial aspect, which is important, because um, two. Part, would-be participants had to be turned away because the event was oversubscribed. Of course, the Cavalcade Committee provide as much or as many materials as they can, but they're limited. They've got a budget. Um, Eric did say this was one of the most popular events in the social calendar in Gibraltar. And not only that, he also said it was one of the events which drew the most people at a cost price as well. Um, so he said it's uh, time for us to perhaps look at uh, investment in the Cavalcade for the future in order to ensure its continuity, its success, and for Gibraltar to be able to enjoy the cavalcade. And important aspects as well related to the funding, I think, Jose. Yeah, I mean, you have to realise that the, the trailers, like you said, the committee give as much as they can in terms of material, but the trailers is something that the people that sign up have to source themselves. And Monteverde do a good job, for example, of, of lending trailers. For free as well. For free, and that's that's the problem, for free, because a company can't afford to have an important trailer yeah. down at Midtown Car Park for over two weeks yeah. and not in use for, for, for their work. Yeah. So there was an oversubscription of people and that mm-hmm. to be turned away because they just couldn't find their own trailers. I think GBC actually GBC mentioned... GBC was one of them, yeah. GBC was, we were one of the people that wanted to be involved that we couldn't find our own trailer because no one else was willing to, to give up a trailer for that long of a period. Yeah. So I think they've bought two smaller trailers and they can buy more smaller trailers and own them themselves and give them out themselves. We could have even even more floats in yeah. years to come. And the important thing, these smaller trailers, they don't need to be carried by these large yeah. trucks. I, I forget the word, uh, what they're called, uh, heavy goods vehicles. Yeah, or, yeah, articulated yeah. lorries. And they can be driven by, by four by fours. fours. But four by fours makes it safer. Lower emissions as well. Yeah. Lower emissions, as Eric mentioned yeah. there. And importantly, Eric was telling me, um, if the Cavalcade uh, Committee get hold of more of these lower, smaller yeah. trailers... Um, they could be used for other events. They're willing to lend them, to loan them. They're part of the government stock to other events. And you yeah. mentioned um, the Pride and so many other events, the uh, Casemate Summer Nights, 
So, you know, we, we, we could uh, invest for these thought. for the future. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, the smaller ones, you may think perhaps smaller is worse, but when you get a big trailer, they normally build up the float. So the higher keeps on going, the kids sometimes can't can't see what's happening at the top. Yeah. Whilst the smaller trailers are more involved with the crowd and closer yeah. to the people mm. on the streets. And yeah. more immersed. Yeah, that's thought, a good word I was looking for. <laughs> I thought that the, uh, the, the the rugby walking float was very effective just because they were um, playing with a ball. Yeah, mm. wheelchair rugby they had as well, yeah. Interactive, wheelchair yeah. rugby as well they had. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.